In the East, I've been doing a series along with Clint and Will on the names of God because he has many names. Yahweh is actually the one that occurs most in the Bible, over almost 6,000 times. Elohim is about 2,000 times. But then there's a lot of other names that actually only occur once, like El Roy, which means the God who sees me in my misery, or Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there, and actually it's there in the future. But the one I want to share today is Jehovah Nisi. It can also be said as Yahweh Nisi. And that whole word Jehovah, actually, I need to give you a little bit of a background here. Again, we we need to not judge too strongly. I know there's some believe that we should only use the name Jehovah, but that, that doesn't make sense because the word Jehovah in our English is actually from a mistake. Now, look at this. This is the most widespread theory on how the word in English, Jehovah, came about. There was a 16th century German translator who wrote the name Yahweh, which with the slightly different letters, as you'll see on the next slide. If you'll show the next slide, you'll see the letters that he was looking at. But using the vowels of Adonai. Now, the reason they did that is the Jews felt that the name Yahweh was so sacred that they could not say it. And so they would use the name Adonai in its place. Now, in Hebrew writing, only consonants are written down. The vowels are added later. And so whenever the word Yahweh, which was too sacred to say, was in the Scriptures, they would put Adonai's vowels underneath it. And so one of the texts that the German was translating just took those vowels of Adonai and he put them in the consonants of Yahweh, and that's how we came up with Jehovah. So I think that's very interesting. It's just a Latinization of Hebrew. But don't get all messed up about that, because the reality is even our name God is not God's name. G-O-D is just English for what we're referring to as Yahweh. So we can use other names, but make sure it's holy and reverent accordingly. But where do we find this name, Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 17. As uh, I've been uh, going for my master's degree at Abilene Christian University, thank you for all those who've been praying. I'm halfway through. Uh, Amen. I've been learning a lot. And I've learned especially that when we go to the scriptures, when we go to the sacred text, yes, we can look at a passage. There may be meaning for it just from that passage, but we have to remember it was never just written that passage. That text is part of a larger text, a larger story, a larger narrative. And so we can never read something without looking at the bigger picture, the context. So before we even get to this account, we need to know the context, the history. Up to this point, there is no nation Israel. It's just a really large family of descendants of Abraham. They had gone to to Egypt, saved through Joseph, and then continued to multiply. But at some point, attitudes toward the Jews changed, and they became slaves. God heard their cry. He sent Moses with this powerful staff to represent the power of God. And through all those encounters, eventually they were let go. They were saved through the Red Sea. But they're not a nation. They have no king. They have no government. They have no laws. They don't even have traditions yet. Outside of whatever family traditions they may have had. They were given one in Egypt as they left the Passover. That would be their first tradition as a larger group of people. 
So here they are, they're leaving, they're, they're about to go to the promised land, and I think their situation is very similar to what we're facing in the Gulf Coast, is the unknown. We know something's happened. We know that many lives were spared. It is amazing, guys, with the amount of damage, how few lives were taken, but we obviously pray for all those who, who had lost. But God spared so many. God had spared the, the nation soon to be Israel, and now they're coming, and they don't know where they're going. It's unknown. And now we find this scenario in Exodus 17, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. What? Right off the bat? Come on, God, you saved us for what? To face more tragedy? We're not even an army. And that's life. The unknown just occurs. It happens. Tragedy happens. And it's in those moments we got to remember there is still a God. Look what happens. Moses said to Joshua, okay, they're attacking us. Uh, choose some of our men and go out and fight them. Now think about that for a minute if you were Joshua. Uh, Moses, we're not an army. We've been slaves. We don't train to fight. And why just some men? Why not all of us? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean you got to put yourself in Joshua's shoes. He's like, yeah, just go do that. Go fight them. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow, I'm not going to be with you. I'm in my 80s. It's for young guys to go fight these things. I'm going to go stand on top of the hill with the staff of God. And the Hebrew here in this term for God is Elohim. In my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands. And what was in his hands? And what's the staff represent? The power of God. The Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, he got tired, he got fatigued. This is hard, I can't keep doing this. The Amalekites were winning. What? What's that got to do with the battle? This makes no sense at all. And does it when God's involved? But all we know is that as long as it was up, they were winning. As long as it was down, they were losing. And how true is that for us today when we start to put down our banner? And we're wondering why our life is going disarray. It doesn't mean that when the banner's up, there's no trouble. The banner was up, and there was an army attacking them. But the issue is, is that army attacking you going to make you quit to put your hands down, or are you going to pick them up and keep them up? That's the answer. But we all grow tired, don't we? I don't care who you are. How long you've been a disciple, there are moments that test whether you can keep your hands up. So what do you do in those moments? When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. I don't think that's just a coincidence. I think that stone could be referenced to Jesus himself. When we're tired, we've got to make sure our foundation is Jesus, the rock, the great stone. But that's not all he had. They put it under him and he sat on it. Then Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. What time did he go up on the mountain? The morning. How long did he keep his hands up? To the end of the day. I don't know if you've ever tried just putting your hands up for a while. It gets hard. 
I mean, it, it just starts to burn. And even if you have someone holding your hands, it still hurts. But he understood, I can't put my hands down no matter how much it burns, no matter how much it hurts. If I put the power of God down and rely on my strength, we will lose. And so they held his hands till sunset. It says, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Wow. Then the Lord, in Hebrew here is Yahweh, said to Moses, write this on a scroll. And that is a unique passage in the scriptures, by the way, guys. This is the first time from Genesis to Revelation where there's a command to write. The first time we see literacy as important to our faith. And I think, what, really? That's the first time? Yeah. There is in Genesis that it was written and then the lineage, but that's going backwards looking. This is the first time God commands him, write it down. Now, that's so important to his people. Why aren't you having your notes out and writing down God's word? I can see from here, by the way. Now, I know some of you are writing on the tablet. That's great. Amen. That's actually more biblical. You're scrolling. Yeah. Okay. I know the youth will like that one. They'll, they'll use that with their parents. It's more like God. They had scrolls. But look why he said to write this down. He says, as something to be remembered. Because here's the issue, guys. You don't write it down, you ain't going to remember it. Isn't that true? If you don't write it down or you don't have that little memo or to-do thing in your app, you're, you're not going to remember it. We need to remember when God's word is being delivered to us. But he adds this. He says, write this on as something to remember to make sure that Joshua hears it. Because Joshua wasn't there. He was down fighting. Who's not here today that needs to hear this? It's our responsibility, according to this, to make sure they do. Right? Isn't that what a family of God is about? That because someone who's not here for a wrong reason probably means they're starting to drop their hands. And they need an Aaron and her to help bring it back up. But if we don't even call them, if we don't even follow up with them, if we don't share with them the word of God that has helped us, then they may not be holding up that banner very long. And I think God will hold us accountable. Because I want to make sure Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord Yahweh, and the Lord Yahweh will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. You know, why is this idea, and this is the only time this name is given, that God is our banner? What's the, what's the significance of this? Ancient armies carried standards or banners that served as marks of identification and as symbols that embodied the idea of the people. Like many of you have the flags of your children's school on your front yard. Or maybe if you're really radical, you have a flag of your favorite NFL football team now. On your car as you're driving down, right? You, you, that flag embodies something important to you. I wonder if God could look down in our homes, what banner would he see? Would it be Yahweh? Would it be Jehovah Nisi? Or would it be something else? 
See, like a flag, a banner was something that could be seen from afar. It served as a rallying point for the troops before a battle. Ancient banners were usually made out of wood or metal, and they were shaped into various figures, symbols, or emblems that often glistened brightly in the sun. A banner was carried at the head of an army or planted on a high hill, not only as a rallying point, but as an announcement of victory already won. God himself was Israel's banner. He was both at the front of the army and a sign of victory. But the question we have to ask is, what battle are you fighting today? Is, it a, is the battle that you're in one that God has chosen for you? You might think that seems like a strange question. However, perhaps the battle you are in, the struggle that you're dealing with, is actually one of your own choosing and not God's choosing. And if that's the case, then you're going to rely on your own strength because he can't be the banner in that. He's the banner in his battle. We must rally to his banner, not him rally to ours. He is leading the way. He is the one who leads us in battle, and when he is, it will be victorious. And what's amazing is this is the first battle that the soon-to-be nation of Israel had to face after being delivered from Egypt. The outcome of that battle could determine the destiny for that people. How important was it that God showed his people he was their banner? You know, I've done other lessons with this passage in a series that we did uh, about a year and a half ago, If God is for Us. And the three quick points in that I'll just give you, but I'm going to do something else today, is power depending on God's strength. You can show the next slide there. Prayer depending on God's answers. But I think very important, partners, depending on God's people. Who's your Aaron? Who's your her? When you're starting to wane, do you have someone there to help you lift it up? And who are you an Aaron to? Who are you a her to? So that we can keep our banners up. But I actually want to highlight a different aspect of this lesson, because again, we can learn from this lesson those points. But this, this narrative occurs in a larger narrative. It's all about the formation of God's people and eventually a nation of Israel. So why was this incident, because it's the only time the name is mentioned, so important for God as he's about to create his own people in soon-to-be nation of Israel? I think the first thing is he wanted to show them that as your God, I lead you in the battles. All we can do is lift up our hands and praise him. Now, technically, Israel is not a nation like those around them who have kings and armies and laws and traditions. So why is this this, this victory so important? God had provided deliverance from Egypt. He provided water, manna, and quail in the desert. He had provided now victory over the Amalekites. He even provided leadership structure through Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. See, but before Israel could be God's people... God was already showing them he was to be their king. Moses was not their king. Moses is a prophet speaking on behalf of the king. God, Yahweh, Jehovah Nisi. You know, why is this important? Why did God need this to take place to build this nation of Israel in his name? Well, one of the things I've had to do in my biblical theology class that I just finished is I had to read a Jewish theologian's book. Very different 
than a Christian theologian. But he added some insights that I think are very important to the understanding of this larger narrative, why Jehovah Nissi, Lord being our banner, was so important not only to the people of Israel, but even us today who received the promise through them, through Christ. Let's look at this. First of all, historical discoveries of ancient treaties of the Hittite empires, which were contemporaries of the Israelites, shed some amazing light on this event of a covenant with, at Sinai with Israel. Here's a quote from Levinson. The purpose of this treatise was to secure the allegiance of the smaller states to make sure that they stood faithful in alliance with the Hittites and did not pursue an independent foreign policy. Treaties in the ancient world were principally two types, parity and suzerainty. Parity treaties were between equals. Suzerainty treaties were between unequals. The great king, whom he, we shall call the suzerain, and the petty monarch, whom we will term the vassal. Now these treaties, these are Hittite treaties, these are not God treaties, these are from mankind, had what was called a covenant formulary. See, we got to remember, guys, that the Bible, though written by God through his people, it is not written in a vacuum. It was written in the context of that time, that setting, that people, that literature, that, that worldview, and all that affects it. And God's not afraid of that. He will even use it in helping us understand concepts he wants us to understand. So I want to share with you the characteristics of this Coventry formula. First of all is a preamble or a titulary. And what this preamble is, and we have actual treaties where we have this written from Hittite kings, okay? So we can actually read these and see what, what was involved in each of these aspects of this covenant formulary. And this is basically where the, suz, the suzerain identifies himself. And you know what it is? It's, hey, I'm awesome. I took care of you. I protected you. When you had no one to save you, I did. That, that's really what it's about. It's like, you're going to want me. That, that's what takes place in that preamble. The next part is the historical prologue or antecedent history. And this is really just a statement of a past relationship. Hey, remember when you were about to be defeated by that other empire and we interfered? We intervened for you and saved you? It, it's reminding them what he's already done for them even before they formed this treaty before they be formed this new covenant. It's a reminder of what the suzerain has already done. What do we just see about what God has already done? A lot, right? Do we see the formation of a covenant formulary? That maybe this very battle of Jehovah Nissi was all part of God's plan to say, look what I've done for you. Hmm, let's read on. It's to encourage a feeling of gratitude that the vassal goes, you're right. You did do that for us. I'm going to be loyal to you. But then it gets into the stipulations. These are the actual terms of the treaty. But what's interesting is in a lot of these Hittite treaties, they were not impersonal in nature. They actually were about a loving relationship. There was even a suzerain king who basically said, I am like a loving father to you. This is in the treaty. I don't see treaties in modern times written like that. But should that surprise us as God, who's also our Father, as we heard earlier? That this stipulation does not need to be just formal. It can be relational. 
But it doesn't mean there's no stipulations just to have a relationship. There's a demand for exclusive loyalty. In other words, a vassal can have no other suzerain. Hmm. Start to see some New Testament there? Some potential lordship? Then we get into depositions. This is now where it becomes a legal document. And it's usually agreed upon where this document will be placed. Don't we have one of those for America? We have a document. And it's placed in a specific place. Often it was placed in temples. And one must know the treaty in order to fulfill it. You can't have Jesus be Lord if you don't know how to be his disciple. Right? How many of us understood that in our religious upbringing? you got to know the treaty in order to fulfill it. If you're visiting today and you don't really understand what it means for Jesus as Lord or as suzerain, then don't leave without asking someone to share with you the treaty, to share with you the covenant, the promise of our Lord. Then it has a list of witnesses. Often for the Hittites, this would be gods or gods for whom the sacred oath was sworn. Now, to violate the treaty, this is why the witness was important, is that if you violate this, you not only risk me as a suzerain, you risk the wrath of the god or gods. So it brought in this spiritual element even into this political arrangement. Sometimes natural phenomena like mountains or rivers or heaven and earth could stand as witness as well. And we see that in the scriptures quite often. Even in the Psalms, where it says these mountains will stand witness against you. Right? And then it gets to six. Curses and blessings. This is consequences for violations are clearly stated. But it also says faithfulness means the vassal is under protection from the suzerain. The suzerain is now the vassal's banner. As you see all those stipulations, you see the covenant formulary, you start to see what God is doing with the Israelites. Everything he just did, getting them out of Egypt, giving them victory in their first battle, Jehovah Nisi, I am your suzerain. I've already done this for you. And now he's forming this covenant with Israelites. Let's just look at two quick passages in the Old Testament of this covenant, what would now become the nation of Israel. Exodus 19, verse 3 through 8. Then Moses went up to God, Elohim, and the Lord, Yahweh, called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Does that sound like something? Sounds like the preamble and the historical prologue, telling him what he's already done. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord Yahweh had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord Yahweh has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord Yahweh. And if you continue the narrative, there are many other laws that were given. The Ten Commandments all the righteous and priestly laws. He helped help them in different aspects of, the, of their journey. But eventually, even though they sinned, and even though it took many years, they eventually came to the very promised land where God's people 
would establish themselves. And so go to Joshua 24 to get the end of this covenant formulary that God is building with his people. In verse 24, it says, And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord, Yahweh our God, Elohim, and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things under the oak near the holy place of the Lord Yahweh. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord Yahweh has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God, Elohim. If you combine the words of the Sinai, including the Ten Commandments, all the other stipulations, with the words given by Joshua as they're about to enter the Promised Land, we have a Suzerain Treaty, a treaty between unequals, a treaty where the Suzerain is Lord and only Lord, and Israel is the vassal and can have no other Suzerain. Wow. God used even what was common to that contemporary life to build his people. This is why what God did with Moses on that mountain and with Joshua fighting the battle is to show them I am that suzerain who has already been your king. Now you need to choose whether I'm your suzerain and you're my vassal or not. And that's what it's all about. It's a covenant. That this is amazing to me. It's it's so much like what we have with Christ as Lord. Don't we now surrender to Jesus, our suzerain? Now, we are his vassal. But this is a great relationship. It's not just one of submission. It's also one of protection. It's one of power. It's one of love and relationship. That when things go bad like the Gulf Coast, we are not alone. God will lead us in battle. He is our banner. But right now, we have brothers and sisters who, with what they're going through, man, it's got to be weakening. There are moments where their hands have got to be thinking, where were you? And yet, I'm so proud of our brothers and sisters who, even though they are victims of this, they're out there serving. And they need our help. We've got to be the Aaron and her, whether we can go down there or we can give. And we can pray. They need our help. So when we look at this this covenant formulary, we really get down to the prologue. What does this really remind us of? It says, in sum, the historical prologue provides the data from which the nature of Yahweh, the reliable suzerain, can be known. This is why the victory by Jehovah Nissi was so important. If they are faithful to the Lord... He will continue continue to lead them to victory, just as he did against the Amalekites. He'll protect them as his holy nation. Exactly what a suzerain does for the vassal, that's what they do. They're there to protect them, to lead the battles rather than them have to fight them. So what is required of us? What is required of the vassal? Don't let your hands grow weak. They are only as victorious as long as Moses' hands were raised. We are only as victorious as we continue to hold up the banner of Jehovah Nisi. Don't put it down, no matter how hard and tempted you are. In Zephaniah 3, verse 15, it says this, 
The Lord Yahweh has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord Yahweh, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord Yahweh, your God, Elohim, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, is the faithful suzerain. But we must be the faithful vassal. Don't let your hands hang limp. Or as the Holman Christian Standard says, don't let your hands grow weak. He is our mighty warrior who saves. He is our banner. But we have to specifically ask ourselves, what banner are you lifting? Are you lifting a banner of career? Are you lifting a banner of pleasure? You'll pick up the banner of Yahweh for church, but the rest of the week you pick up the banner of lust and purity and immorality. Which banner are you lifting? Is it a banner of money? Is that what you think is going to help you win the battles that you're about to face? We just saw how one flood can take all that away. If there's anything we should learn, we should learn, guys, life is not as secure as we think it is. That's why we need God. Or what is, is it the banner of self? I don't need this Jehovah Nisi. It's all about me. Let's me wave my banner. Who wants a rally to you? Really? Because we're too selfish. We want them to rally to us. So we're never going to rally to you. What is the banner blank that you're lifting? If the Lord is your banner today, it should be the only one that you are lifting up. Don't let your hand come down to pick up any other banner. A vassal can only serve one suzerain. If your hands grow weak, you will lose. Isaiah 11, verse 10. Here's the answer for us today. How does this passage, as we saw now applied for the Israelites becoming his people, what does it mean for us today that Jehovah Nisi is our banner? It says in verse 10 of Isaiah 11, In that day, a root of Jesse, oh, I wonder who that's referring to, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations, not just Jews, all nations, will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. So you can run to the banner of money, and then a flood could come, and man, you don't have much to run to. Or you can run to the banner of God. That is a glorious resting place. And that day the Lord Adonai will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. In other words, there's nowhere he can't get you. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel, those that were promised of Abraham. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Guys, we're a people of a new covenant. Same kind of covenant, but it's a much greater suzerain. 
It's not one based on laws. It's one based on love. It's one based on faith. It's one based on a suzerain who is willing to die for you. How could we not be but his faithful vassals? Don't let your hands hang limp. Lift them up. Psalms 25a says this. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God, Elohim. If there's any time in Texas history that we need to raise the banner of Jehovah Nisi, it's now. Our brothers and sisters are raising their banner. Are we going to raise ours? And as their hands grow weak or our hands grow weak, are we going to be the Aaron and her for each other? the family of God that he has gathered from all nations, that we're not going to be a racial divide, we're not going to be a political voice, but we're going to be the people of God, a holy people that show this world we have a loving Lord, a suzerain that will fight for his vassal. Because that banner has already been posted. And a banner is posted on the hill to assure us of a victory that has already been won. Do you know what that banner is for us today? For us who call him Lord, Jehovah Nisi? It's John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, because remember, God will lift up his banner. I will draw all people to myself. Jesus on that cross, which seemed like a defeat, To man was the ultimate victory of the great suzerain, Jehovah Nisi, calling all of us as vassals to victory. But if we want to remain in that victory, we must keep our hands up. Jehovah Nisi is our banner.